0: morning. It is a beautiful spring morning, and I'm going to get this out of my way a little bit. Well, my name is Mark Lanting. It's my pleasure to share with you this uh, Palm Sunday uh, sermon this morning. So happy Palm Sunday. I saw some of you waving your palms uh, during worship. That was kind of fun, and uh, we'll continue that worship now. Uh, We're going to be talking about Jesus this morning, about who he is, uh, about his character, about his very real emotions, about his deep care for us. I'm excited to share that with you today. Last week, uh, Pastor Nolan did a great job sharing with us about the final two interactions Jesus had before he took off for Jerusalem. He talked about the mother of James and John. Remember her request? He uh, shared about her requesting that James and John be allowed to sit on the right and left hand of the throne of God for all of eternity. And Jesus was very gentle and uh, walked her through why that probably wouldn't happen. or Well, it wouldn't happen and why it wasn't a great idea. And He also focused on the blind men who came to Jesus. And so we were calling out for healing at the very end uh, uh, as uh, Jesus was on the road. And Jesus, uh, while Those men were told to be quiet. He had mercy on them, right? And the key word, I think, last week was mercy. And we heard a lot about the mercy of Jesus. We saw that he had mercy on them and gave them sight. So picture Jesus on a road uh, from last week into this week, because he very much was. He was leaving Jericho and on his way to Jerusalem. And he was on his way to Jerusalem with great intent. Uh, He knew this was the time. Uh, this was the time for him to basically give himself up, to give up his life, uh, to proclaim boldly uh, what the kingdom of God, and to share uh, the message of the need for salvation through Christ and Christ alone. And so we're walking farther down that road from, Jer- from Jericho rather to the very gates of Jerusalem, Uh, now Jesus is going to have a couple more interactions with the people uh, who have gathered to see him come in. Um, Let's just dive right in, uh, because we have a couple of long scriptures to read today. I like reading the whole scripture, and uh, as I read, I uh, encourage you to sort of use your mind's eye, right? Uh, I like thinking in terms of cinema, and uh, think of this scene playing out. Luke is so good. Uh, Luke really tells us, uh, a narrative, right? The narrative that really happened, but he gives us important details. And just sort of picture with me uh, what's happening at this time as we read from Luke 19 28 to 41. After telling this story, and we'll get into what that story was in just a moment because you can't just sort of leave that out there in a vacuum, right? Uh, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem. Remember, he's on that road toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. You untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went... And found the colt just as Jesus, Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked him, uh, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, again... Picture that journey, right? Up the Mount of Olives to Bethpage and Bethany, now down the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. All of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. The blind have seen, the dead have been raised, lepers have been healed, right? Jesus is right on, and his followers are with him. They're saying, uh, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven. And glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your follower, followers for saying things like that. For saying things like that. He replied, but Jesus replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Amen? All right. All right. Well, we start this passage, as I mentioned, it talks about, uh, you know, verse 28 there, after telling this story. And I don't feel we should tell uh, or read uh, the Bible in isolation, so when it pulls us back, we've got to go back a little bit. Um, Luke writes in chapter 19, verse 28, uh, when he said these things, we should ask, well, what... Were the things that Jesus said right before what we know as a triumphal entry? And to whom did Jesus say these things? And what was the purpose of the things Jesus said prior to enter, entering into Jerusalem? So if you want to go back a little bit, we're not going to exposit or focus heavily on this. Uh, but I want to touch on a couple of the main points of the things he said right before this passage we read this morning. Um, my hope is, too, that Sundays are good days for you to open up the texts that we read today and to go a little bit before and a little bit after, because there's really important stuff. So just before, there's this parable of uh, the talents or uh, the uh, this nobleman who gave out investments that needed to be invested. And just after the passage that we we read today, is a time where Jesus enters the temple and becomes very angry at the uh, injustices there, right? And so use this day or sometime this week to read a little bit deeper into uh, this text. It's so rich. Uh, so uh, when Luke says... And when he had said these things, he was referring to a parable that Jesus had just told the crowd that was around him prior to the entry. The parable earlier in Luke 19 was about a businessman who had gone on an extended trip. While he was away, he had instructed 10 of his workers to invest the company's money wisely, the kingdom's money, however you want want to look at it, uh, so that there would be good profit gathered by the time he returned. When he returned, he found that Most of those had invested well, right? And that there was uh, gain uh, found because of their good investments. Uh, And the businessman rewarded, or the nobleman rewarded them accordingly, right? And so you, uh, what, saw this doubling of my money, so I'm going to give you double the responsibility and honor. Uh, But uh, he got to the last guy, and he said to him, well... Or I knew you were a harsh person and that you take what isn't necessarily yours. So I just hid the money away and did nothing with it while you were away. And so this nobleman rebukes this guy. And uh, he, he says, you know, I, I gave this to you to invest uh, and you did nothing. And so there was a rebuke and punishment. So Jesus tells this story right before going into Jerusalem for specific reasons. He's telegraphing his disappointment in this whole enterprise of his chosen people. He had given them a promised land, right? He had given them a law. He had given them the opportunity for blessing. And what happened in Israel's history? I mean, this is the whole Old Testament, right? Uh, Time after time, uh, the people, the kings rejected God. They rejected his word Uh, They rejected uh, all that had been given to them. And so uh, he would have rewarded Israel tenfold had they obeyed and sought out God's blessing. But now they're really living through a curse. So immediately after this parable, and we get to the scripture we read today, the triumphal entry begins to unfold. Jesus begins the process of continuing down that road to his destiny. Uh, To judgment, humiliation, pain, and suffering on behalf of those who hadn't obeyed. We read in verse 29 of Luke 19 that Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead with instructions to find that donkey that would be waiting for them. If anyone were to ask them where they were taking or why they were taking the donkey, they were supposed to just say, The Lord needs it, It as we read. Of course, when the disciples begin taking the donkey, someone says uh, or asks why. And uh, they told them what Jesus told them to say. And apparently that does the trick. And they're permitted to take the donkey without further questioning or resistance. Fascinating. Uh, I, I wonder why uh, Jesus chose this donkey, right? Uh, why did he choose this instead of a gallant white stallion or something like that? He's a king returning to his kingdom, but we know that there were certain prophecies that were spoken. You remember these, right? Um, and there were certain reasons why Jesus would choose this. So we're not going to go there. But in Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Any of you listen to Handel's Messiah this time of year? It should be in your head as I read this verse. You should listen to it if you don't, by the way. It's awesome. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Um, Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus picked a symbol that emphasized humility and lowliness instead of military strength. The fa- this fact should inform how we celebrate and remember his entry into Jerusalem. Along with fulfilling an important prophecy, Jesus was showing the people Uh, And us, something about himself and the kind of reign that he was about to initiate. As we read on, we see that Jesus' disciples, they lay their cloaks on the ground uh, and over the donkey. Uh, These were symbols of honor uh, and welcome to a king. We see in verse 37 that Jesus' followers begin to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. We see in verse 38 that they were singing from the book of Psalms by saying, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. I imagine those that had been healed from blindness, who had been cleansed from leprosy, who had been freed from demons, whose lives had been transformed by Jesus were in that crowd shouting praises to him. But then there's an abrupt shift in Luke's accounts. In verse 39, these guys called the Pharisees, call out to Jesus saying, rebuke your followers for saying things like that, things like that. Isn't that something? Uh, And Jesus responded by saying, I bet you're fun at parties. (laughs) They don't sound like a fun group, do they? Here there's this great celebration all around. Jesus is being welcomed. Great things have happened. They know great things have happened. It's undeniable that miracles have taken place, right? Yet their response is, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. It just seems so short and so shallow, so empty-headed of these guys. Forgive me for judging, but I think we can judge these guys for this. And, of course, Jesus really says, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears. What do you think motivated the Pharisees to be so, what, curmudgeonly? Uh, when I was a kid at camp, there was a song that went something like, I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. <laughs> Maybe it had something to do. You remember that song? It's really cheesy. You don't have to know it. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think there's something deep-seated in their requests. Something like deep-seated resentment and jealousy. Do you think they might have been afraid? I think they were afraid. I think they saw... Their grip on these people slipping slipping away. Right here comes this Jesus who's turning the whole thing upside down. Right and doing great things which they're not capable of. So the Pharisees are capable of a lot a lot of things. They're capable of administration, leadership, uh, imposing law, but they're not capable of doing these miracles. They're not capable of sharing the truth. And the, remember, Jesus teaches with great authority. Right. And they kind of lost that authority, especially with the onset of Jesus and his ministry. Jesus represented a threat to their whole system of power, which was really a work based, a works based religiosity. These Pharisees may have just heard that parable I referred to a moment ago about the businessman, the nobleman who entrusted his riches to a people who did absolutely nothing of value with it. They may have felt some guilt about that. Uh, They may know that Jesus was referring to them. That might have spurred on their resentment. But at this point, Jesus is really pulling out all the stops as he marches toward Jerusalem and courageously saying and doing things that he knows will get him killed. But despite this and despite all the shouts of acclamation, Jesus never loses sight of that cross. So that's the triumphal entry. Uh, this is where the church gained the tradition of Palm Sunday, while Luke only talks about those garments being laid out. The other gospel, you know, uh, triumphal entry is in all of the gospel accounts. If you'd want to look more into the other details, uh, but they talk about the palm branches being waved and laid down for Jesus too. Uh, and uh, Palm Sunday celebrates Jesus and his disciples arriving in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover after a long journey. Jesus' arrival in the city is often referred to as the triumphal entry, and uh, it was. The crowds cried out, praise the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, right? And uh, they sang Hosanna while throwing palm branches and coats on the path. Why was Jesus given this royal treatment? It's because Israel's prophets spoke about a king who would come to the holy city and bring justice and peace to Israel. When the crowds see Jesus on the donkey, uh, they seem to think that Jesus is the promised king, the long awaited Messiah, sent to rescue Israel and establish God's kingdom on earth. Yet, Jesus wasn't necessarily the king they were expecting. Many thought this king would honor the temple and its powerful leaders, but Jesus powerfully criticizes the temple system and predicts its collapse. Others hoped Jesus would lead a military revolt, as previous messiahs had done. But Jesus rides in without armies, weapons, or war horses. He comes on a donkey, and Jesus is filled with patient, peaceful, self-giving love. He shocks people further when he says that the kingdom of God belongs not to the elite and the powerful, but to the poor and the outsider. God's kingdom is one where love reigns, the love of God and others, including our enemies. But our text brings us even further into the mindset of Jesus after this triumphal, or as the triumphal entry is taking place. And back to why he told the parable of the nobleman and the useless worker. Let's read on now a little bit deeper into our text in Luke 19 to verses 41 to 44. It says, As he came closer to Jerusalem, He saw the city ahead. He began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But how it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long your enemies build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize when God visited you. Wow! What a transition from this triumphal entry, right? He comes up over the ridge and he sees the city He just breaks down. That's our Jesus. Jesus feels deeply. He takes no joy in the fact that Jerusalem was a failure. He's deeply saddened by this. And he knows what's coming, and it's not good. Such a transition. Jesus goes from kind of socking it to the Pharisees in a jubilant scene of worship and shouts of Hosanna to weeping as he sees the city of Jerusalem, as they come closer to the city. He sees the land that had such a rich, important, and devastated history. This was the capital of the city, the capital of the land that belonged to the chosen people. It was a place that should have had it right, but got it all wrong. Pastor Jeff just finished the series on blessing and curses through the book of Deuteronomy. Through that series, we saw many instances where Israel could have chosen the way of peace, but we know they chose ways that led to their exile, destruction, and near annihilation. King after king went astray through the Old Testament, and the chosen people of uh, Israel followed along with it. This was not what God had intended. The people of Israel chose the way of the curse, and so Jesus weeps as he enters Jerusalem, because he knows the people are looking for the wrong kind of Messiah at this point in time. The people seek a deliverer from the Roman Empire. They seek a military leader who will establish all of Israel as an independent, strong nation. But here comes Jesus, riding on a donkey, with a very different kind of deliverance in mind. Verse 42 strikes me as so sad, but it bears repeating How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your lives, from your eyes rather. He goes on to prophesy that enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in on every side. They'll crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Again, you know, I I think in cinema, I think in movies in my head all the time, and I want you to imagine the tears. Imagine Jesus as he prophesies these things. He's truly and deeply saddened that the enterprise of having a chosen people has failed, and now there's no time and there's no hope for peace. Most of the people had rejected his prophets, and now they were about to reject Jesus himself. Take note that Jesus doesn't respond to this rejection with anger or vengeance. He responds with emotion, with tears, right? Because he loves these people. He responds with sadness. Remember uh, in Isaiah 53, uh, the prophet said that the Messiah would be despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Here he is, right? Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Then in the New Testament, we see Jesus reflecting on what it feels like to be rejected and despised by the likes of the Pharisees. Keep in mind that in just a few short days after this triumphal entry there's going to be a trial, and uh, Pilate doesn't know what to do, right? Uh, so he puts Jesus out on a stage, and this sort of a militia leader, uh, Barabbas, right? Barabbas, you remember him? And he tells the people, you choose today who I set free, right? And the crowds aren't crying Hosanna, they're crying Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And that's who's freed. You remember that scene? Just a few short days later. But we know that Jesus knew that would happen. That he put himself on this road. On the road that would lead to his rejection. It brings us back to last week's sermon by Nolan. Jesus chose to have mercy on Jerusalem, on Israel, and the whole world. Because... He's driven by love and compassion to be on that road. Because Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, there are some things that we can glean from that. It's not my intent just to make us all sad this morning. It's my intent to bring some comfort. Uh, Any of us who have been around for a little while, and even those who are younger, may know what it means to be acquainted with sorrow. And you may know grief. There were tornadoes this week, and people died. There was a horrible school shooting this week, and children died. Jesus knows about this. And do you grieve with me at these things, the wrongness in the world? Uh, There's corruption and evil in the spotlight yet again. The world is a hard place to live in. And part of the reason why Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem is because it was never supposed to be this way. This isn't how life is supposed to be. This is backwards. This is messed up. Jesus weeps with us when we weep. He cries when we cry. When you experience loss and sadness in the world, Jesus knows your pain, and he is there with you. If you come away with nothing other than that, See that Jesus who knows pain, suffering, and loss, and understand he is right there with you when you grieve and when you mourn. It comes in a lot of ways. <clears throat> you know that Abby and I have been through loss this past year. We lost our parents uh, we lost her mom about a year ago, and I lost my dad about a year ago as well. And it was sad. There's nothing good about it, <laughs> right? Uh, and so, uh, it wasn't uh, about a year and a half ago that I went to Arizona uh, to visit my parents and to be with my dad and to spend some time. There were messages being sent that you need to come visit, and when you get those messages, you know what you need to do, right? And you know what's happening. The time was short. And so I went and visited, and we shared some good times. My dad was lucid, and we had some meals together, yet he was clearly in decline. And it was a special time for me to sort of have some goodbye time. Uh, I was there to be strong for my mom, uh, to help you know, uh, put some final things in place. Uh, Yet I didn't have any time or wherewithal to process grief at that moment, in that time. Again, I felt it was my need to be strong. I went, well, I said goodbye, and I went back to kind of my lonely, dark hotel room that night, and that's a bad place to be when you're dealing with grief. Uh, I had an early flight, so I... uh, didn't want to sleep too much, so I grabbed my laptop and some books and sat outside in the dark at a picnic table in a not-so-nice area outside of Phoenix. As I'm sitting there, I see a dark, shadowy figure start to come toward me. I'm like, oh boy, who's coming? And uh, as he came closer, I could see he's probably a homeless person. And when he sat down across from me, I was like, yeah, this is likely a homeless person. And out of the blue, without me saying anything, he said, why didn't you get up and walk away while I was coming toward you? I said, because I have nothing to be afraid of. He liked that answer. And we had a really fun, long conversation. Uh, We talked about football. I was wearing my Bears hat, and he knew some things about the Bears, and we were talking about recent quarterback acquisitions and things like that. Uh, he knew this area because he had hopped on a train in a boxcar uh, from here and worked his way down to warmer weather in Arizona. Uh, but we got to talk about really deep things. We talked about how he had recently been stolen from, how he had seen death, about his uh, experience around drugs and addiction, things like that. It was it was hard. And I was thinking, God, help me know what to say to this guy. And out of nowhere, did you, have you ever had that like thunderbolt eureka moment? The word jubilee came into my mind. I said, Joe, have you ever heard the word jubilee? He says, yeah, I think so, but I don't know about it. I said, jubilee was an Old Testament principle where the people of God were supposed to take just a good rest and give everyone a break. And so if you were in debt, you're freed from that debt. If the ground has been overworked, give the ground a rest. And it was a year of celebration and renewal in which the people of Israel were supposed to recognize that God is making all things new. And I said, Joe, what do you think about that? And he just starts bawling. He says, that's what I need, and that's what I want. I want all things to be made new. Joe cried, and I cried. And He said, yes, I want to see all things made new, and I want a fresh start. With tears in his eyes, he just got up right then, grabbed my hand, put both of his hands, shook it, and just walked away. I believe Joe was the angel I needed at the moment to show me that it was okay to have emotion and to cry. To cry and weep about the state of the world and weep at the prospect of death. Was he literally an angel? I don't know. But he was there in a moment when I needed to process hard things. And I needed to be reminded myself that Jubilee was coming. So yeah, I prayed to minister to this guy. But what happened was I was ministered to. And I was reminded all things will be made new. Jubilee is coming. Jesus cares when we are hurting. And he will be with us to help us through our times of struggle. One of my favorite accounts of Jesus during uh, his life... Uh, when he showed emotion and compassion as, as when he visits his friends Mary and Martha and the recently deceased Lazarus. We can't properly exegete all of this right now, but I want to read it for you. And I want you to listen again. Let your mind do what's work and, and visualize what's happening here. You can just close your eyes if you want as I read and, and let this wash over you. Uh, here's the account from the book of John. Um, it says when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Mary, or rather, When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, uh, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, yes, Martha says. He'll rise with everyone else when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Crossview Church? Yes, Lord, she told them. I always have believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So immediately uh, Mary went to him. Jesus Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people were at the house crossing, or rather consoling Mary, uh, they saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep further. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the other people Wailing with her, a deep anger welled up with him, and he was deeply troubled. Jesus is angry at what has happened, right? He's angry at what death is because it was never supposed to be this way. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. He wept with the people because he was experiencing loss as they experienced loss. The people standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man has healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I say it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus said, unwrap him and let him go. Did you sense that passion in Jesus' voice? Did you sense his anger at what death is? Did you sense his sadness as he had compassion with those people? He was angry not at the people, but at what death had done. Jesus was weeping not out of hopelessness, but because he saw how death deeply affected the people around him. Keep in mind, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior. And Jesus came to invoke a permanent jubilee. With the resurrection of Lazarus, we see how Jesus is Lord over death, and He's in the process of making all things new. One of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time was Rich Mullins. Uh, He died tragically in a car wreck around 2000-something. He has a beautiful song called Bound to Come Some Trouble. In the song he writes... There's bound to come some trouble to your life, but that ain't nothing to be afraid of. There's bound to come some trouble in your life, but that's no reason to fear. I know there's bound to come some trouble to your life, but reach out to Jesus and hold on tight. He's been there before, and he knows what it's like. You'll find he's there. The way to do this is by practicing the presence of God in this very day, all right? Because those hard times, if they're not here right now, they're coming. Uh, If death isn't here right now, it's coming. And you need to know that Jesus is with you right here, right now. But in those hard moments, he's nearer than ever. He comes alongside those who are weeping, those who are mourning, all right? Today we get to celebrate all that Jesus did for us in a time of communion. So I want us to kind of prepare our hearts for that. And I'm going to pray for us in a moment as the worship team comes forward. Uh, We're going to sing a song. And uh, then we're going to go into a time of communion uh, where we'll remember Jesus' body and blood and all that he's done. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father and dear Jesus, We're so grateful for all that you've done for us. We're grateful that you are near to us, uh, even right now, but also in times when life isn't so good. We pray, Jesus, that you would prepare our hearts right now to receive these elements, that you would open our hearts to receiving your salvation, uh, that we would receive hope from you, that we would receive your care and love. As we worship you, open our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.